Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. More than half of the world population works, and we spend a significant chunk of our lives at work. How can we manage stress at work so that it doesn't affect our home life and our physical health? Dr. Logan Winkleman is this episode's guest and has advice and tips on how to handle the stress that comes along with starting or changing careers, working with people who are different from us, and how to maintain a good life and work balance. Dr. Winkleman is an assistant professor and program director of the Clinical Mental Health Counseling in the Department of Clinical Counseling and Mental Health. Dr. Winkleman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center. Sure. So my name is Logan Winkleman, and I am an assistant professor in the Department of Clinical Counseling and Mental Health here in the School of Health Professions. And I'm also the program director for the Master of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling program. Prior to my role here at the Health Sciences Center, I was the associate director of the Texas Tech University Career Center, where I helped students and alumni with their career development finding jobs, internships, graduation, resume, all of those sorts of things. As far as my research experience, I have looked at emotional intelligence and in, particularly in healthcare education settings, in workplace settings, diversity and recruiting practices, telehealth during the COVID-19 pandemic. And then my clinical service focuses on working with adults, primarily in their professional development, their careers, life stressors, life transitions, you know, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. And so I've been working in higher ed and also providing counseling services uh, for over 10 years now. So kind of a, a, a broad range of experiences, but focusing primarily on the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Well, again, welcome to our podcast. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, spring is here and graduation is coming up soon and summer is coming up also and people will be starting new jobs, especially students. They'll be entering the workforce or starting uh, internships. What do you recommend new employees and interns do to find their way at a new job and what can the rest of us do to make them feel welcome? Yes, I love this question. Starting any new job is anxiety provoking. It can feel both exciting and overwhelming. And there's a few things that I think, especially depending on your industry, I'll, I'll take healthcare for an example, that's an ever evolving industry. And so something that we recommend and that I would recommend is continually being adaptable and eager to learn new things. And so what new graduates can do to, to be prepared in that arena is understand that it's ever changing, understand that there's going to be things that they don't know. And there's going to be times where you feel really lost where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, and kind of leaning into that discomfort. I think another thing people need to entering the workforce or entering a, a new job is understand that there's going to be emotional and even ethical challenges that maybe they hadn't considered before. So understanding that it's not 
going to be as predictable as probably they had hoped and that it's okay for it to be a little bit ambiguous. I think as far as other things that the individual who is finding that new internship or new job, seek out relationships in the workplace. So Gallup did a study many years ago and they looked at workplace engagement and they found that over 70% of people in the U.S. are either disengaged or actively disengaged in the workplace. And one of the things that the 30% of people who are engaged at work, the commonality was they had friends at work. They had relationships with their colleagues. And I don't know if you've ever heard the, the old saying of people don't leave jobs for jobs. They leave jobs because of people. And so people can make or break the workforce and the workplace and that fulfillment that people get. And so it's really critical to, to begin working on those relationships. Now, as far as what employers can do, I think this, this is both immediate and also longitudinal. So you want to do things immediately, like really doing sound orientation, not just onboarding them and getting them in their office and, you know, here's your job, really making sure that you're taking time to orient people to not only the jobs, but the expectations, the policies, making sure that they know where they're going. For example, like here at the Health Sciences Center, that building is very confusing. And so if if that supervisor's not making sure that that employee knows where they're going and where to, to go to the restroom and where to get food and where to all of those things that we take for granted once we understand kind of the lay of the land, that's something that we can do as employers or managers to help people feel welcome. I think long-term things, we need to think about workplace culture. How are we fostering good workplace culture? Are we building, um, are we building trust and are we leaning on our values? And so those are things that take time to build up, but day-to-day tasks are enforced through that behavior. I think as far as like colleagues, similarly to what employers do, um, I have here offer assistance when needed. So I think something I remember when I first came over to the Health Sciences Center, I was overwhelmed by the people that were just willing to help me. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't really know what I was doing. And people just were willing to help. Even if they didn't know exactly what I was asking, they would find somebody. And that goes a really long way in making someone not only feel welcomed, but feeling comfortable to be approachable. Because again, that anxiety provoking feeling of learning your new job and wanting to do a good job, having people that you can lean on can really help in that transition to a new role. So those are some things that I would recommend is creating trust, creating that relational social aspect that's not just focused on the work itself, but the people in that department or at that office. Also social events. So some departments are better than others at this, but invite new hires to those things. So if you're going to lunch with a colleague, bring that other person along. It, it may not be a big deal to you, but it's going to mean a lot to someone who's brand new. So those are some things that I think both employers and colleagues can do to help new hires feel welcomed. Among some of those starting new jobs might be middle-aged people starting a new career, either they retired or maybe the pandemic had them change their priorities. What do you recommend they do to feel more confident about their job? Because they might perhaps be getting a younger boss or supervisor. 
Yeah, so I love this question. So middle-aged or older employees can feel more confident in their career change when they focus on what they're bringing to the table. So their experiences, their skills, and being able to convey that to those supervisors. So letting people know what you're good at, what what you like doing, what you have experience doing. That's that's one way that they can be more confident in that arena. I think also finding someone who's been successful doing that. So someone who maybe came out of retirement, went back to work, leaning on that person as a mentor, asking them for advice on how to navigate that. Because more times than not, you're not the first person to experience that. So you can probably find someone who can help you out with that. One of my favorite suggestions in this arena also is invest in your own professional development. So just because you're coming in, you know, with 20 years of experience doesn't mean that you're done learning. Continue to, to look for, um, you know, webinars that you can attend or conferences that you can attend to continue to build that skill set. Because I know that that can be really overwhelming too, is transitioning into a workplace where there's all this new technology or there's all this new terminology and feeling like, I don't even know what people are talking about. Now, on the flip side, for someone who might be uh, a younger supervisor to an older middle-aged or older um, employees, there's some things that I also recommend is get to know the people that are working for you or you're managing, regardless of their age, regardless of their experience. You need to get to know those people, their personality, their experiences, their skills, what they do really well, maybe what their growth areas are. Really invest time in getting to know the individual. I know when working with a lot of new and younger managers, their main focus is outcome, right? They're really focused on, we need to reach these measurable checkpoints. But something that we often overlook is if we focus solely on the outcome, we lose sight of the relationship. And a lot of management, actually I would say the majority of management, the majority of leadership is relationship management. And so building those trusting relationships and offering offering um, your own experience, but also being humble to learning about experiences of those that you manage. So coming from a place of, I don't know everything, I want to learn. So I think both of those, whether you're someone who's uh, transitioning from um, maybe not working for a while or having years and years of experience to a new industry, or you're someone who is managing those individuals, it's really important to start with just getting to know one another. And that will go a long way in building that trust and rapport that you can build off of for other other things down the line, like those outcomes and those measurable things that that we all know we're evaluated on. Speaking of getting to know your employees, at my department, we've taken two personality tests, and they are more or less the same. But I guess I could read my Zodiac, and that would be (laughs) applicable every day, too. How helpful are they to employees and managers? And is it helpful when they're managing each other? It depends. I would say they are built to be helpful and to be beneficial, but they're only as beneficial as you allow them to be. So this is an arena that I love talking about simply because assessments like personality assessments or interest inventories, they allow us to see things that were already there, 
we're just identifying them. And kind of like you said, the Zodiac, it's like it's sometimes when you're reading, it's like, oh, this could apply to everyone. But if you really drill down to some of these assessments, they can be really enlightening. You may not know that you value responsibility and maybe forward thinking and someone else might value more relationships or they might value uh, ideas or something. And so these assessments can be very helpful, but they're not the end all be all. So some of the things that they can help with are understanding our strengths and our growth areas. They can help us be more effective in our communication at work. So for example, the MBTI, that's one of the most popular personality assessments out there. It looks at four dichotomies, and one of the first dichotomies is introversion and extroversion, and that's how we get our energy. So if you're someone that gets your energy from being alone and really having to think digest the things that you just experienced. And you have someone who's extroverted who digests things out loud, and likes being around people and gains their energy from people, you can see how that conflict might arise if you didn't understand that about one another, you might think, oh, this person's disrespecting my space. Or the extroverted person might think, oh, this person is aloof, and they they don't want to talk to me. And really, that's just their personality preferences and how they they get their energy. So it can be beneficial. But there are some things to keep in mind. So one is it's about raising your awareness to things that probably were already there, but they're only as accurate as you take them. So some of that inaccuracy can come from taking it from a place of aspiration. So who you want to be rather than who you are. Social desirability. So in our society, there's some personality traits that are seen as more desirable than others. So if you're taking it from, well, I think that this is what people want, then I'm going to answer these questions this way. Another one is completing the assessment during a stressful life event. So say you just change jobs, or you just got a divorce, or you had a baby, or there was something traumatic that happened in your life. If you take a, a, a personality assessment during those times, that's going to kind of skew your worldview in that moment. And so it's probably not going to be that accurate of a picture. So the, the thing with these types of assessments is yes, they can absolutely be used as self awareness tools, and social awareness tools. So the more I learn about you, the better I can communicate with you, and vice versa. But they're, they're only as accurate as you take them. And no one assessment can say everything about you, right? It's just not possible. So it's just little nuggets of information that you can choose to be beneficial or not. I have found them to be very beneficial in the workplace because I love learning not only about myself, new things about myself, but also about the people that I work with. And so those assessments kind of give us that almost as a discussion tool that would probably take us years to find out about one another if we, if we didn't do that otherwise. Are there differences in the way different generations approach work? I would say yes. And if we look at the, the research, the research supports that as well. Now, it's important to remember that while there are differences and similarities, it doesn't mean that every person from that generation feels this way. And that's where I think there's a lot of confusion when we talk about generations and tendencies in the workplace. That's what they are, is they, they might be tendencies. And really, it's what events in people's life shape their perspectives. And generations tend to go through the same events. So if we take Gen Zers, for example, 
Think about their first president. Think about the social events that were happening. They're digital natives. They grew up in a world that was never without internet. They've constantly been connected, Where, whereas someone who is from an older generation, they had to pick up the newspaper to look at the news versus a Gen Zer who can pick up their phone and it's right there. So they're more socially connected. So yes, there are differences. Now, if you look at the research, um, some some illuminate some similarities. So for example, baby boomers, according to some of the literature, may be more work centric and also value hard work and dedication. They may be more loyal to companies versus Gen Xers, they might value work-life balance or they value flexibility. If we look at millennials, again, these are all very broad generalizations, but that generation tends to value personal growth, social responsibility, and fulfillment. Gen Zers, on the other hand, they value, tend to value diversity, inclusivity, and those types of things in the workplace. So these differences can often cause misunderstandings. And so that's where I think understanding where people may be coming from and appreciating the different perspectives that people are bringing into the workforce that can really help mitigate some of those misunderstandings is really trying to see people for who they are and get to know them and realize that everybody's worldview is shaped by different things. And we're not all going to believe and value the same things, but having a diversity of values really enriches the workplace. So yes, there's there's differences, but not every person is going to fit the exact mold of what that generation is kind of seen to be. How can we avoid burnout? And what do you recommend people do so that they can leave work at work and take time for themselves? This is probably one of my favorite topics simply because wellness is something that I think is becoming more talked about and understood as or accepted rather than understood accepted as something that we need to prioritize. So the first thing is, is prioritize self care activities. So that is setting aside time for things that you enjoy, like exercise or reading or spending time with loved ones or family or friends. These activities can help you recharge. We have stress throughout the day. Stress is inevitable, but not all of us engage in activities that let us release some of that stress. So if you're someone who has a very stressful work life, which most of us do, and you don't go home to something where you're releasing that, then you're just compounding all of that stress. And so burnout is going to be much more likely with individuals that don't have active self-care strategies integrated on a more consistent basis. The next one is practice mindfulness. So mindfulness was a buzzword that kind of hit the media not too long ago. And people often associate it with meditation. And while they're similar, mindfulness is just a gentle awareness and bringing your attention to the here and now. Much of stress is in the future. So anxiety and stress exist in the future. And so if we focus on the present, the here and now, we can realize, okay, I'm not immediately in threat. I don't have to be in fight or flight mode. And so practicing mindful breathing techniques and just that gentle reminder to be in the here and now that can help reduce the feelings of being overwhelmed by the stress of the future. Because we can't 
just ignore the future, right? That's why we plan. That's why we do things. But if we're only wrapped up in the future and our our mind is constantly thinking about what's next, we forget to realize, oh, it's a beautiful day out. There's there's things to be thankful for. There's things to enjoy. And I don't have to wrap my, my mind around all the stress that may or may not actually unfold. Um, the next one is seek support. So as a counselor, this is something that I recommend for everyone is it doesn't have to be through a mental health professional, but seek support through your friends, through your family. If you do need to see a counselor, go see a counselor. But ask for help. Human beings are social creatures and we need strong relationships. We need strong relationships in the workplace. We need them in our social life and our personal life. We need to seek support and ask for help. In a society that's very individualistic right now, it's sometimes hard to do it. I even find myself challenged when I'm like, oh, I really should probably talk to somebody or ask for help. And I feel like I've got to power through it. And so even someone who who speaks on this, I, I have a tendency of, of uh, asking for help. The next one is setting boundaries. Setting boundaries is something that we just don't learn about. We don't learn how to prioritize our needs first. And so the way that we can do that is creating work-life balance. So setting boundaries around your schedule and your responsibilities first. So if you know that at five o'clock you're done with work, then try not to check your email after 5 p.m. And if you are in an office where that's expected, maybe have a conversation with your supervisor and say, is this really expected or is this something that I'm I'm self-imposing? And get clarity on that. And be, I would say, be an advocate for your time outside of work and making sure that nothing is impeding on that time that you really value with your family, with your friends, with your ability to recharge. And that can help you identify what your needs are. So that also, when we talk about setting boundaries, is not just with time, but with people. You know, I talk about there's people in our life that are fountains and people in our life that are drains. And if you can surround your pe- yourself with people that are fountains that kind of give life and they give energy, that's great. But inevitably, we have those people that kind of drain the life out of us that are kind of energy vampires. Try to limit your interactions with those individuals. And if it's inevitable, set boundaries where you're only going to talk about these things and practice that and understand that setting boundaries is a skill. You're not going to be great at it at first, but the more you practice, the better you'll get. And then lastly, give yourself the permission to take breaks. Even at work, when you are feeling overwhelmed and you feel like your heart rate is just racing and you need to go and type this email out, take a break. Take a walk around the hall, go outside, get some fresh air. When you're feeling stressed in a family event or something at home, Give yourself permission to just take a break. Uh, There's uh, uh, an influencer, I can't remember his name, but he is a defense attorney and he talks about how um, he teaches people how to argue. And he says, in every intense conversation, my first response is my breath. And I loved that because a lot of times we feel like if someone says something to us, especially if it offends us, that we have to immediately have a response. But if our first response is a breath, It gives us that pause to kind of create that gap between that stimulus and our response to that stimulus. And so when we have that 
bigger break, it allows us to think more or respond more intentionally rather than reactionary. And so those are some of the tips that I recommend with regard to handling burnout and mitigating burnout. But you first have to understand the symptoms. So are you feeling really tired? Are you feeling really irritable? Are you dreading going to work every day? There are certain things that you can look for. And if you continually ignore it, they're just going to keep compounding. So self-awareness is really key to mitigating burnout as well. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't know that there's anything more that uh, I'd like to add other than just reiterating that finding a new job, transitioning to a new job, work in general can be anxiety provoking. And feeling stressed is a natural part of that process. So the goal is not to eliminate stress in our life. Stress plays an important role in our life in motivation and keeping us safe. But if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling symptoms of burnout, try to recognize those signals. Try to recognize that you're feeling that rather than stigmatizing it or trying to avoid it like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Try not to judge it one way or the other. Um, Something that I, I try to promote is being gentle with yourself and others. That helps you be more compassionate and it starts with self compassion. So some things that you might consider integrating is a multimodal self-care routine. So not just your emotional health, but your physical health, your financial health, your environmental health, your social health. There's a lot of different dimensions to wellness that we don't even consider. So some questions that I like uh, posing is, what what fun things can I do? What positive emotions can I generate? What sensory experiences can I enjoy? What empowering and pleasant mental images can I conjure up? What positive self-talk can I employ? What kind and friendly people can I associate with? And what specific health-related activities can I engage in? So asking yourself those questions is how can I do that? And prioritizing that above all else, prioritizing your health and well-being above everything else. Because if you're not well, you're not going to be good in any other arena. So we've got to make sure and prioritize that and feel okay with prioritizing that. So that's kind of what I would summarize with. All of this is just really great information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by T.R. Castillo. Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, Kay Williams, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>